Thanks for taking the time to listen to our latest content here on the Blood Red channel. Guy here with just a quick message. Do you want the very latest Liverpool FC news directly into your inbox? Well then sign up to our daily LFC newsletter, which will bring you the breaking news and big events from around Anfield. To subscribe, just go to bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash LFC newsletter. Or click the link in the description of this podcast and pop in your email address. It really is that simple. That link once more bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. Well, thanks for your time and on with the podcast. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Josh Williams, and I'm joined as ever by David Hughes. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I, uh, I keep thinking about how if someone watches these episodes back to back, they're going to just see it in the evolution of my hair, just growing out, out and slicking back, fair and fair, and now it's, uh, now it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're going to see the opposite this week with, with my wig. Um, those, <laughs> those who are tuning in on YouTube will will recognise that I have accepted defeat. Um, mine was just getting to a point where it was just going out and out and out and... I was going to the left wing, I was going to the right wing with it and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I just think I accepted the feet, got one for a three all over. Uh, hopefully it doesn't look too bad. Um, I just said tonight, I think it looks all right, mate. I think you can pull it off. Yeah, do you know what? I've been, I've been told by a few people that have apparently got a nicely shaped head, whatever that means. <laughs> Never heard that one in my life. Nah, that's a new <laughs> one. I have heard that one myself, but um, any compliments are compliments at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah. Still looks bad, but, you know, needs must. Mm. Um, but, yeah, analysing Anfield, I don't know what episode this is of lockdown now. Feels about, is it week eight, week ten? I've got no clue. Yeah, it's all made into one now, unfortunately. Um, I think we're about eight, yeah. There or thereabouts with eight. Yeah. Um, he is starting to look like a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of, of a turn in June. Mm. But we're not yet there. Um, however... The fact that that's on the cards provides a bit of a foundation for the show. Um, so trying to keep it fresh, trying to mix things up and that. What we're doing this week, we're going to look at how how well suited, let's say, each Premier League team, especially Liverpool, obviously, and Liverpool's rivals, how well suited each team is to an abrupt return to proceedings, because obviously. You won't get a full pre-season. It won't be an ideal situation and you'll be thrown into more than likely two matches a week. Um, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday sort of vibe. So, yeah, we're just going to look at the, the, the details of what we can address about that. We're not yet uh, fitness qualified, let's say, but we can address it in terms of, you know, the age of certain squads and playing styles and squad sizes and stuff like that. So, yeah, let's just see where we go with it. I, I said this last week, but we ended up doing over an hour. But I do think this will probably be a shorter sh- show. Um, <laughs> Famous last words every week, aren't they? <laughs> you know, but I've said this is one of them episodes where, you know, if we, if we go off on a tangent, it's absolutely allowed because we're mm. trying to fill time, essentially. So, yeah, we'll, we'll start. Um, so the, the first kind of note that I've got down is 
how well set a Liverpool for a restart, considering the age of the squad. Um, I've actually wrote a piece about this once or twice, um, using like a graphic that sadly I don't think I'll able to I'll be able to show. Um, in fact, we can present on this, can't we? I wonder if that'd actually work live now, and our viewers would see it rather than our faces. Maybe that's something to clarify with the producers. Um, yeah, no, well, I can't see why it wouldn't. Yeah, I'll, I'll maybe give that a go, but the, the crux of what I would share anyway is that Liverpool's um, Liverpool squad right, right now is, is experiencing peakies, Um and that's one of the few Premier League teams at the moment that have a really good balance of minutes played and players that are experiencing the peak. Just um, just on that exact point there, Josh. Do you think there'll, there'll always be a a little bit of a, a frustration at how uh, how this kind of whole crisis has come in this period, whilst Liverpool are, are at the peak? You know, if you think like if it has an impact going into next season as well, it's really last last year, this season, next season, and then. Yeah. Beyond that, obviously, it'll be about trying to find next generation, and you just wonder whether things like a trophy hall might be impacted um, because of all this. Um, yeah. You know what? What could what could they have won? I mean, we still don't know. It's all guesswork, of course, but it's just just a little point there. I'm thinking about. Yeah. Now I did say the other day to me to me dad actually that it's it's unfortunate this that this has coincided with Liverpool kind of hitting the prime, if you like. This is what they're doing right now, kind of a um, like an acclimatization of, of everything that Klopp's done since he came in a number of years ago. You know, a, a lot of players were signed at a good age and they've been able to mature together. Um, and right at the point where they're now at the top of their game, um, football, you know, is ceasing to exist in essence. Um, obviously, we had the whole of the last season. And we've had 29 games of this season. Um, so we have seen Liverpool's peak enough. Um, but it's just a shame that I, I do think Liverpool had a bit more left in the tank. And maybe this will Im- impact the schedule of next season. And that's that's going to impact, you know, say, for example, when when next season was starting, maybe Henderson would be, I don't know, still 29. And, and now he's going to be at the back end as he go, you know, things like that just really small things I think yeah. it, it gives a benefit doesn't it to certain players who are injured I, I think yeah. specifically yeah. Naby Keita I'd be interested to see how he how he performs after all this yeah no, that's a good point and I've um, touched on a little uh, that maybe we'll, we'll we'll come on to later when we talk a little bit about squad depth um, but yeah it's it's been good for injured players in terms of giving them an extended recovery period but yeah just on that on that point that we're talking about there um it is just a little bit, it'll be a little bit of a frustration from a Liverpool point of view that uh, things that might be impacted next season. So I think the domestic campaign will be probably the safest competition um, that as soon as it can restart, it will. But you do wonder where we're going to be in terms of like European uh, competitions and domestic cups. You know, will we'll like the League Cup, for example, take it? take a hit you know FA Cup will we be able to see the Champions League restart obviously as whilst Liverpool at the level they are now they probably would have been looking to pursue that that seventh 
Champions League on it. Um, maybe obviously they got knocked out this season, but next year they still have the squad to achieve it. And you just wonder whether that might be impacted. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just a, a minor point, really, but um, it could turn out to be a bit frustrating. Yeah. Um, just a little bit more on, on, on what I mentioned before about Liverpool experience and the peak years. Just, just to clarify that, I think peak years are generally um, understood as, say, between the ages of 25 and 29, specifically for outfielders at least. And um, the majority of Liverpool's players this season who have accumulated the most minutes on the pitch, um, you've got Van Dijk, Robertson, Firmino, Saleh, Mane, Henderson, Allison, Fabinho, and Wijnaldum, all aged in that peak between 25 and 29. The only two players you'd say were getting a lot of minutes, but aren't yet experienced in the peak is Trent and Gomez. Um, and I, I think there's, I suppose, two ways of looking at it regarding specific fitness and being suited to, to a quick restart, but I would be inclined to think that, you know, if you're in your prime years, you don't necessarily need a match every single week to to, to keep in top shape. So I think I think you still I don't think any of Liverpool's players are into the thirties really that are of that group that I've just mentioned. I think Henderson's twenty nine, Wijnaldum's twenty nine, Milner's obviously pushing I think thirty. 38, 38 or something like that, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it might Close be a bit different. But uh, I think, yeah, Liverpool's prime is, is, is now. And uh, I, I wouldn't expect that to have that much of a, of a detrimental effect on how we the team are to, to play immediately and to play, you know, two games in a week immediately. Well, yeah, because um, obviously it's, it's important to flag that Liverpool have been doing this for a couple of years now anyway. If you think about... Um, Playing in the Champions League and then playing on the weekend, and they've they've juggled that demand fairly well. I think um, you know I, I don't remember any certainly over the last two seasons. I don't remember any major kind of drop off after European fixtures, which has always been a bit of a you know something that people flag when they say um, when they talk about sides pushing to break into the um, into Europe. How it helps them not be playing Europe that year, but. As I said, from a, from a Liverpool point of view, that hasn't really been an issue. Um, I think the way the squad is right now, as you point out, it's a lot of there's a lot of players in the peak years. I think you get the you get the best of both elements, really, don't you? You get players who still have the um, the energy levels to kind of hit speed, hit like top level uh, quicker than most, but then they also have that experience that maybe younger squads don't have in in knowing how to just. Know, settle back into the rhythm a lot quicker. Um, I think that's maybe the advantage that they'll have over sides that might possess a little bit more youth is that they don't, these sides won't have the same experience um, that Liverpool have and ultimately may not click into gear as, as quick. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think I should give a go with this present? See if it works. If it works, yeah, because obviously it's no good for people who only listen, but if you want to, if that's people true. watch on you, <laughs> yeah. But you know, people watch on YouTube, uh, and maybe if people do only listen to the audio, it might it might uh, persuade them to check us out on YouTube sometimes. Yeah, I'm not the best at this sort of thing, but nah, I think I'll leave it. You know. Okay. Well, I mean, we could we, we we'll do maybe Josh is we'll we'll have a play with it uh, between now and next week's episode, and and if it's if it's something we can do, then we'll start introducing it if if that's what people want. 
Yeah. But, um, yeah, just a little bit more on Liverpool's age at the minute. So, I, I think it's... What, what Liverpool are experiencing right now will have, will have been intentional from, from the perspective of the club and from the perspective of specifically Michael Edwards, um, who's tasked with constructing the first team. But with the team have been able to progress as a group to reach a point whereby they're ready to deliver sort of thing. Um, they're now experiencing the prime together. And I, th- I think various clubs in the Premier League tend to just constantly be in kind of a state of flux where they're not they're not consistent. They're never really consistent. And an example I've kind of got for that is Arsenal and when they signed Abayang. Um so he moved to Arsenal when he was age twenty eight. Um and Arsenal's squad at the time I think was quite up in the air. I think Wenger's future was up in the air. Um I think the excellence had in charge of recruitment and that was you know, that's obviously no longer the case. And Aubameyang delivered what you would consider to be his peak at the Emirates, really. Mm. Uh, I think his scoring records, you know, on rival mostly, it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, but because of the, the disorder around him and the poor squad construction, um, very few of his teammates have been able to match his ability in the pitch. And that's mm. resulted in... You've, Arsenal have experienced the peak years of a player but it hasn't, it hasn't, I don't think it's delivered a single trophy. I don't think Aubameyang's won a trophy at Arsenal yet, has he? I don't, no, I don't think so. Uh, they had the Europa League last year, didn't he? But I think those FA Cup wins before that arrived, before he come in. Um, yeah, the, it, it just hasn't coincided with the the rest of the side being um, at the same kind of age and, and, and level. It, it's funny with him because he is... His goal scoring record's ridiculous and he's been a, a really good Premier League player. But when people are naming the kind of top five forwards, he, he, he doesn't really get a mention. And I think a lot of it does come down to the playing personnel and the kind of disorder that's been at Arsenal over the past few years. Um, and now, yeah. you think, now they've kind of like laid the tracks to do something good with Arteta. And unfortunately, by the time that probably you know happens, um, Aubameyang will, will be over the hill. I, I imagine. Yeah, well, that was that was going to be my next point. The, the issue with that is that now Arteta came in, he might now get the on track. But the moment Arteta has improved the current squad to a level whereby they've they're, they're much better, and take for example, Jacques is doing a lot, a lot of stuff on the pitch. When Doozy improves, Eden Tain he's there. William Silver at centre back. All these players start to improve. Once that happens, Aubameyang will be regressing. If he's still there, I mean, I think he runs out of contract in the summer, actually, or or the summer after. Um, but yeah, that that's the issue with when your your squad construction, your squad squad building, isn't really aligned towards kind of an end, an end goal, an end vision sort of thing. Um, so yes, st- sticking with ages before we move on to what what else is a factor. Um, I think there's a, there's a variety of clubs currently in the Premier League that have young squads and that have old squads. Um, for, for me, I mean, logic suggests that the, the young squads should generally thrive, if you like, in, with, with a situation like this, whereas the older squads should find a little bit tougher. Um, I think United and Chelsea in particular are two teams that have quite young team, young squad, young players. 
that are far from the peak in it on the whole, really. Um, and they're going to look to deliver and compete for silverware in maybe two years' time when they're all approaching the age of 25. Whereas at the back end, I think you've got Palace, you've got Watford, um, possibly Burnley and possibly West Ham in there amongst like the oldest the oldest teams in the league. I'm not sure where, where Everton are in, in, in that group, Dave. So, uh, Everton have a, a lot of um, young key players, um, but then they also have some... They, they seem to don't really have anyone in and around the peak. It, it seems to be a little bit um, just over the hill or quite a few fairly young up-and-coming players. Like, you know, like Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, um, who are obviously really important. But then you'll have like um, you'll have like Fabian Delph, um, who's obviously of a certain age and kind of past his peak years. So there's a blend, but I think good foundations to build on. Oh, just uh, just for anyone who picked that up there, me uh, me dog for this for this walk with the dog walker. So yeah, so week in a row. Yeah, that's it. Well, he, he, he again, wasn't uh, Dave making that noise? <laughs> yeah, although I have been known to do that, but yeah. <laughs> um anyway, yeah, so Everton somewhere somewhere in between, but they've got good foundations, I think. Um can I just just on one of the teams flag there though, Josh. I thought it was interesting maybe just to get your general thoughts. You know, um we can't consider Wofford as being a, a fairly decent side in terms of recruitment and they do seem to do some good stuff, but I did find it interesting that they're quite um on the older age of the of the spectrum, because you, you'd imagine maybe um, this is a harsh term, but maybe if they're like a, a feeder club, so you know, a club who recruits fairly well and then sells for profit, you imagine they'd tend to have a fairly young side, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, I was quite surprised as well. Um, just to put into perspective how how old Watford and Palace generally are, um, of the 50 highest average ages. Um, sorry, of, of the 50 highest average age starting lineups that have been named in the Premier League this season, 40 of 50 comprise of Watford or Palace teams. Um, the oldest average age that Roy Hodgson has selected is 30.7 years old, and the oldest Watford side was under Kike Sanchez Flores at an age of 30.6. Um, they are known for the recruitment over there, and I think they've got a real expansive network. But I think it's quite, um, it's not particularly modern in the sense that it's it's really data driven, is it? It's it's quite like it's about contacts, it's about um, relationships with maybe certain agents and stuff like that. It's about knowing certain countries and certain continents. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was, I'm a li- little bit surprised by it. But I think they do. They do manage to um, to balance it by by the odd thirty million sign of of Ishmael Asar, for example, last summer. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've announced that signing of um, Papa Gay, is it? Papa Guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which looks quite good, but yeah, that's a that's that's a fair point. Actually, you don't know how much of it is data driven, or maybe just from good relationships. Um, I did. I did read a piece in the Athletic on that, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was kind of. Um, it, I don't know. It, it came across in the piece that that were very. I don't want to say the word eye test. Cause pe- people look at you know you can either be eye test or you can either be data driven. I think 
the large majority of clubs in the modern day are made to two, but mm. it just come across on the piece that Watford really, um, yeah, based on perception, based on trusting really experienced scouts and, and things like that. And obviously they're, they're doing it right to an extent, at least because they, they brought Allison to England, who I think is a ridiculous player. Mm. Uh, they brought Sar to England. Um, oh, really, really good player. Yeah, and I think they've got they've got a few little little players out on loan that are quite young who haven't really um, acquired fame in the, in England just yet, but they're, they're really talented youngsters. Uh, mm. I think there's p- particularly one called I think he's Chucho Hernandez is he? in uh, Spain. I think he's on loan in Wesker or something like that. You know what? I, he um, he come up on a search of mine recently, and he he looked good. And I was like, "Who's this?" I think I was looking for like um, kind of stars under the under the radar. You know, those type one of those type of pieces. Um, but yeah, it was tapped back to to what to to Watford, yeah. Um, yeah, which is interesting that yeah that you flagged flagged them there. Um, yeah, well, I suppose yeah. I suppose if you have a scouting system that you trust so much and deliver so much that they they're better than anything they said or. You know anything it can provide if if someone's so good and you know that the, they've got a really good success rate, then it's it's almost perfect for them, isn't it? Yeah, I think generally it hasn't caused them too many problems. Obviously, they haven't done not having the greatest season at the minute, but I think generally that you know that the age of the squad hasn't hasn't been too problematic for them. But it may be once football restarts because of the the lack of the season and the you know head down on straight into a load of games basically. Mm. Um just for a little bit of perspective on, on United and Chelsea. Um the youngest fifty average starting lineup teams. Um fifteen of them United teams and ten of them Chelsea teams. Um the lowest the youngest team overall all season was a United team average age of twenty four. Uh, Liverpool by contrast haven't appeared in the bottom 50 youngest and haven't appeared in the oldest 50 either. So again, it comes back to what we were saying before about very much in the previous. Mm. Um, hence why maybe the summer signature of, of Tino Verne would make a degree of sense just to start, you know, if we are creeping up towards, you know, a group, of, a, a squad going towards the age of 30, maybe start adding the odd, adding the odd little um, bit of quality who's who's approaching this peak so that you can just redo that cycle again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you want to try and phase that in, don't rather than, um, you know, not that Liverpool would do this, but just, I'm talking about in generally clubs, you, you want to try and phase that transition in rather than coming to one window and, and trying to do it all in one go. I think if you look back at when Ferguson retired at United, that's a problem they kind of had where... Um, Suddenly it was like, well, we need a brand new squad. We've got a brand new manager in place. And it was trying to do too many jobs at once, I think. And that's why they kind of almost collapsed, didn't they? And they're only now finally on the rebuild after a good few years of kind of nothingness. Yeah. I can't help looking at Chelsea as well. I mean, if they do things right in the market, I think they're on the verge of having a really good period of maybe three years with, I mean, just for a bit of context on that, Mason Mount, Thiago Tamori, Reese James, Callum Hudson Odoi, and Tammy Abraham are all aged twenty-two or younger. Um, they're all English, yeah, 
all English, all from the academy, I'm pretty sure. And yeah, if 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 Chelsea add very strongly to there, like like Liverpool did with Van Dijk and with Allison, you know, adding adding the odd little transformational type player, I think Chelsea could have a really good really good future ahead of them. Um, and that specifically relates to, you know, surely those players are going to, you know, hit the ground running, if you like, in comparison to a player who's over his 30s. Yeah. And they can obviously buy as well, Chelsea, now, can't they? That, I'm pretty sure the ban was, was being set. Um, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, they've obviously added the uh, Achim mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting sign. See how yeah. he does. It'd be interesting to see actually how, how details of his his arrival in London works in terms of, say, for example, the Premier League doesn't get started until, and it crosses over when he's actually due to join up with, with his new club, do you know what I mean? But whether he can play or not, sort of thing, yeah. especially given the Dutch League's finished. I was just about to say that, yeah, considering obviously their season's over, um, that kind of makes him free to join whenever, but then, you know, will the Premier League then face a bit of backlash if, if sides are allowed to bring in, you know, new New stars to play in the remainder of this campaign. Um, yeah. It seems a bit of an unfair advantage. It wouldn't surprise me actually if they if they put a stop to that. Uh, said this one needed to be. This one is treated as if the window's still still closed, um, and you can't yeah. really bring in any new new players. Yeah, I I personally can't see it. Like, um, mm. and just going back to me me days on Football Manager a few years ago, I, I do think you have to register the squad for the season, don't you? Yeah, if, if football managers anything to go by, yeah, you do. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, we know you do for Europe, don't we? So it, it's obviously must be the same, same for the the Premier League. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, that's got to be the case, surely. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. We'll move on anyway to to what is obviously going to be another factor on on how equipped certain teams are to finish the season. In a short mm. of time, and that is squad size. Um, now I know this is something that you've tackled recently. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll actually just share something with you now, so you can see what what I I use. Look, that I've just put it on our uh, chat there. Um, but yeah, it was basically just a an indication as to <clears throat> um, how many pl- players have been used per Premier League card this season. Uh, and interestingly, if we look at initially Wolves, just because I think they're they're a good one to flag. Wolves have only used twenty players this this season in, in the Premier League, which is is quite small, smallest in the division. Um, and as a, if you're looking at at Wolves as a as an example, um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how they kind of cope. If, uh, with a more condensed number of fixtures in a short space of time, because obviously there's there's a chance of getting more f- fatigued and picking up more injuries, um, and I think they could struggle, especially when they've still got something to play for in terms of trying to catch United two points behind now, and they're obviously trying to chase the Champions League position. Um, whereas United have have had to use a lot more players this season. Now the the sides who've had to use more players. So you like your Tottenham's, United's, West Ham's, they're around 28, 29. Uh, they, they've used the most. A lot of that has been through injury, but I think it does indicate that they've got a bigger pool of, of players to use, um, you know, 
Premier League proven players to rely upon in terms of keeping the keeping the team fresh for these kind of two or three games a week. Um, Liverpool point of view, that they're, they're kind of somewhere in the middle, where a little bit closer to the the fewer used players than than the most they've used twenty three. Um, yeah, same as Evan actually. Yeah, yeah, I've just spotted that actually, which is which is interesting, but. I mean, you'd be pretty confident that Liverpool will be able to kind of um, juggle their their playing playing side quite well because they've been doing it for, as I touched on earlier, they've been doing it for a little while, haven't they, with the Champions League, and they've got they've got balance to play and come in. If you think like Ox Chamberlain, for example, isn't it isn't what you perceive as a starter, but he comes in and he's a you know he's a really good player. Um, so yeah, I think Liverpool should should be okay. Yeah, I think generally Liverpool's depth has improved over the years. It's something that we just didn't have for absolutely ages, it felt like. Um, mm. I remember the last time we had a squad of like more 15 players that were actually decent. Yeah. Um, but looking at Liverpool's squad, it, it does look it does look quite strong to me. I think we've got, I, I, I looked at it before, and we've got, we've got, I'd say, about eight players capable of playing in central midfield. Um, and that includes Chris Jones. But considering there might be a game every three weeks for a period of about a month, um, I don't think including an absolutely fresh Curtis Jones would be that much of a of a drop off against an opponent who maybe has played the last four games in a row. Yeah. Um, possibly a bit of a problem with with Liverpool's front three. Um, obviously you've got Rigi and Minamino and, and Shiki who hasn't been able to get all season. Feels like. What is the what is the story with that, Josh? I've been trying to get me head around it. I'm I'm hoping maybe you might have a little bit more knowledge on it. It's so no, no, I have no, no idea. Uh, it's so it's, yeah. it's not fitness or is fitness or uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's it's a, it's a strange one, really strange one. I think if Liverpool were having more problems, it'd be a bigger storyline, a bit talking point, but because we've been just fine. And because the front three haven't suffered any problems injury wise, we haven't really needed them. Um, yeah. But it has been really weird, and I think just a little a little side note on that, and how I think that may relate to Timo Werner. There's been a few a few reports here and there that Liverpool's chase for them is going to go a little bit cold this summer because of the coronavirus and all that stuff like this. How it's going to impact finance, but I think. I think what's most likely to impact regarding that is is the sale of Shakiri and the sale of maybe Rigi, which mm. I think we will we will have been banking on, maybe even the sale of Lovren. Um I think we will have been expecting to get a bit of money for these players. And I think now looking at the likes of, say, for example, a Bournemouth, who we usually sell quite frequently to, they're less likely now to be able to ship to shell out twenty five million on Divac Rigi. Likely to be a lot more stringent and perhaps even give a kid a chance as a mm-hmm. as a means of saving a bit of money. So I think that's where any Verna problems will pop up. I think it'll be to do with what Liverpool can get regarding sales rather than what Liverpool want to shell out for a player like Verna. I think they'll just want to, you know, naturally recoup some of the money through through sales. And it'd be it'd also be a bit mad to, to invest in a player like Verna if you're gonna keep Shikiri, Arigi, and Minamino, because that's that means you've got at least one player there who's virtually doing nothing every week. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, that, that, that's a really good point. It'll, um, it'll just be interesting to see what the market's like. And, you know, some people might be listening now and thinking, well, you know, Liverpool are doing really well. We've seen the accounts. Why do they need to sell to buy? They don't as such. But, the, you know, the, the owners have come in and they've implemented a business model that's been really successful. You know, the, mm. the evidence is there. So why would they opt to then change that model? Um, and start spending willy nilly. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think what it, I think what it is is my perception on that has always been that that's just good business in a way. That's just for me keeping things efficient. Um, yeah, and de- dedicating funds to exactly what you need, keeping a fine balance of things. And if you start signing attackers while you currently have three backup attackers who aren't getting a lot of minutes, you end up just getting a lot of um. Basically, the money, money that you're shelling out, that is really contributing at all to what you're doing on the pitch. It'd be interesting um, to see what the wages are as well for the three of them. Um, while yeah. at last, I don't imagine to be super, um, super high. You know, I imagine Shakiri be on a half decent wage because he he come in fairly cheap, didn't he? And when when someone normally comes in quite cheap, uh, you see a little bit more of the budget allocated to their wages then to kind of sweeten the deal. Um, I don't know whether that either would Shaqiri because you know Liverpool would have been one of the biggest clubs he's he's played for, um, so he would have probably jumped at the chance to do so. But um, yeah, you, you don't want just wage wages basically going down down the pan, do you? No, just just a little bit more on Liverpool front today, um, and I think this ties in with with the viz that you've just sent me and Wolves being top of it for least players used. Um, I think injury prevention will come in a lot to this sort of thing. Um, Liverpool's front three never seems to get injured, and I think Wolves are, are renowned really for being the best in the league for preventing injuries. Um, so maybe that's you know an influencing factor on why Wolves are the only team all season to have used as few as twenty players. Um, and I think that's likely to to impact the Premier League once it restarts because if, if you say for example Spurs who have used the most with 29 that as you said that could be due to injuries and if that's something you're still going to control I know Ndombele's had a few problems and it's got mm-hmm. to a point where they're considering sales and stuff like that um, I think that's 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 going to be quite an influencing factor that we we didn't actually note on the agenda but your in, injury prevention is obviously going to play a massive part yeah, because yeah. um, this is one thing I, I, I did say in a, kind of a piece that I wrote around this, is that Wolves, um, I mean, look, most play, most teams will want to be in a position where they don't have to use a lot of players. No, it makes sense. You want to use your core best group. It'll obviously be by, by design, I think, for Wolves. They've got a really set system, so they want to maintain keeping the, the best players to, to kind of execute it. I think they've done that really well. Um, you know, the sides to use a lot more players like Tottenham, as you've just touched on, that the perfect example. Think of all the players they've they've had certain kind of various injuries this season. You know, Kane, uh, Ali, uh, Ben Davis. Um, I mean, you've said and Dombele there. There's loads, so it wouldn't have been by design for them to have to do that. Um, but the positive maybe for them could be that. Um, with that prolonged period of allowing players to get fit again, they could have a, a bigger pool in terms of players to choose from and, and you know, players to rotate with. 
Um, whereas Wolves, if it does start getting weighing a little bit heavy on their legs, you don't really know what you've got in reserve beyond beyond that 20. Yeah, I think another, another factor that comes into it will be, you know, the versatility of, of your players. Um, I think generally if you sign versatile players who can play in a variety of different positions, that then allows you to have basically a smaller squad. Um, Liverpool might have had to invest in a backup right back in the past few years if we didn't have a player like Milner or a player Joe Gomez who can play centre back and right. So that's allowed Liverpool to have you know one fewer player in the squad. And I think Liverpool, if you look at you know Premier League teams, I think Liverpool have probably got one of the most versatile, if not the versatile squads in the whole division. Um, I think Milner, I think he's played every single position. Uh, Centre back and goalkeeper. Um, I think Wayne Albums. I don't think he's played as a fullback, but I think he's played as a centre back. He's played as a, as a false nine away at the Newcamp. Um, I think Henderson eventually will get to a point in his career where he does a bit of what Milner does and just plays anywhere he's needed mm. and just does a job. Um, trying to think of some other players. Firmino could clearly play as a number ten. Could probably play as, as an eight or something like that. Um. Marnie's played on both flanks. Salah's played as a, as a number nine. So th- th- this allows you to... Also I'll not play the fence. <laughs> yeah. Or centre mid. Yeah, centre mid. <laughs> but I think this is th- th- this is the pace of signing versatile players. And obviously Liverpool won't plan ahead to, to sign versatile players for a situation like this. But, you know, it looks like it's going to come in handy. Mm, I agree. I think generally as well, you 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 might be even willing to pay a premium for these types of players. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think it, it it always helps because you just don't know. Um, you know, we we kind of reference an Everton situation there. They they found themselves without a without a mid like central midfielder this this season because the guy they brought in to replace Adrista Gay, um, Gabamin, he he picked up an injury very early on. Has basically missed the whole season. So now you're without a, a kind of number six destroyer. Um, that's been a big miss. Whereas if you if you recruited a, I don't know, the, the look defenders, if you recruit a defender who could potentially drop into that kind of number six role, which is plenty out there. Um, in fact, I think I think Barcelona's they were linked with the twenty year old of Barcelona. What's his name? Um, Tadebo. Yeah, Tadebo. Yeah. Um, Tadebo can play as a number six, and if, you think if they would have recruited him. He could have maybe been a player that could have stepped up and kind of filled that void through the season. So that's just an example of maybe aiming to kind of recruit players who can play in all positions because you don't know what's around the corner. Yeah. So obviously we've just talked a little bit about squad size there, but do you, do you think there's any clubs specifically that will struggle regarding the size of their squads? And, you know, that might have a bit of a detrimental effect. I mean, the first team that came to mind for me, I straight away just thought Man United. Mm. Uh, just because they let they did let a few players go last summer and they don't really seem to have uh, replaced them and, and got really numbers in. But having said that, I did have a little look at the squad before and it's it's not as um what's the word? It's just not as, yeah, not as bare, yeah, not as bare as I thought. Yeah, no, the um, as I said, if we if we, if you look at that viz, there they they they've used quite a few players this season because of injuries, but um, you know they've got players to choose from. It's just whether they've got they've got that real um 
quality in, in, in that depth, you know. It's whether they could they, they can kind of go into the reserves, bring players in, um, and the, the quality of the sides can maintain because their first eleven with everybody fit, it's a good side. You know, people can't like to take the mick out of United, but they quietly kind of improved a lot on the pitch. Um and their first eleven is up there now, especially with Bruno Fernandez in there. If you put Pogba in the team as well, it's a it's a it's a good side. Um but beyond that, I still think they're in that position where you touched on earlier about with Liverpool, who kind of had a solid kind of 13, 14 good players previously, um, but didn't maybe have anything beyond that. I think that's where United are at the moment. They've got a good kind of first call, but you know, in the underneath that, it's not maybe uh, what what they'd be open for. So yeah, they could struggle a little bit. Yeah, um, I think that the final influence and factor that we we, we want to touch upon is style of play, mm-hmm. uh, because some styles of play will be a bit more physically demanding than others, and I think personally, it's. It's safe to say that Liverpool, for me, are arguably the most intense team in England mm. in terms of you know the physical demand on on the shoulders of players. And I was just thinking maybe that'll be adjusted, considering a the fact that there'll be no crowds, or it's looking high likely that there'll be no crowds at least, mm. and b you know a bit of an added need to to conserve energy, considering possibly be playing every three days yeah I think um, obvious one that might stand out uh, just sorry just on Liverpool actually I just want to agree with what you said yeah although just before we continue with this topic how beyond the title being confirmed which could be within two two games three games at most beyond that how do you think Liverpool actually going to approach the rest of the season like what because we're kind of talking about it, aren't we? As if um, you know, they'll be trying to save energy, save energy here for this, and, and you know, the, maintaining energy levels for games one after the other. But after the title's confirmed, there's not really anything much to play for unless they're pursuing that um, that point total. Um, That's so, a good point. And yeah, how much will they actually be? Kind of, I don't know. How much will they care? With yeah, <laughs> I can't really think of a better term than. Then asking that, how much will they care? They've kind of won the title. Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting point because I did have it in mind before all of this that we I really wanted my team to to break, you know, record number of wins if possible, record points to Sally, hundred points and all that sort of stuff. Um, but thinking about it now, if you know the summer break that a player gets is now. And once we restart, we're kind of going to face the season and then almost almost immediately go into next season. Mm. I think Klopp will almost want to give virtually all of his players a decent amount of minutes to get them all up to speed. Um, whereas I think if this hadn't happened, if, if Everton was as normal, I think he would have just largely kept his starting eleven intact until the end of the season. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe because... Of how long every player's gone without a proper game of football, or maybe he'll be more inclined to to play the likes of Minamino, Rigi, uh, Keita, you know, players like that. Uh, yeah. 
I also think even even teams who are trying to break the records, I just wonder whether they'll think, you know, there's there's always going to be the caveat of this season kind of getting broken up and then restarting and restarting the neutral grounds and, you know, people are always going to be trying to dismiss them. I just wonder whether you'll think, you know what, we'll just finish the season as champions we'll and we'll start our preparation for next season to go again and kind of achieve all these these records that we would have lost to achieve this season next season. Without, yeah, any, yeah. without giving any excuses for, you know, caveats and things. Yeah. No, it is tricky, and I, I, it would be a real shame if, if down the line this season's kind of known as you know, the coronavirus season, uh, yeah. rather than like the, the season at Liverpool were just uh, immaculate, really. I mean, you know, how many points have we, have we dropped? How many points have you dropped? Is, 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 is it four, isn't it? Yeah, oh, is it four or five that you dropped? Yeah. Anyway, we matter. <laughs> Struggle with me, matter, yeah. Because it might be like fine. data writers and stuff. <laughs> yeah, five, which is ludicrous, really. One, one loss and one draw. After 29 games, yeah, it's it's absolutely mental. So, yeah, it's an interesting question. Um. But beyond Liverpool, I think uh, I think one team that stands maybe is I don't know if you agree, Southampton. Yeah, I I listed a, a few that I think want to play with a degree of intensity, specifically without the ball. Mm. Um, I think Chelsea are up there. I think Southampton, labelled Sheffield United a little bit as well. Yeah. Uh, Man City, and I had a question mark next to Evan. Just okay. because it's, it's kind of a, I'm just thinking of the games that where the majority of the players permanently in transition almost, and the ball is just constantly vertical, um, yeah. and, and it's never the the ball's never safe, the ball's never secured, and usually mm. those games are a bit more intense on you physically. Yeah, it's it's, it's weird actually with Evan. I'm not really, I'm I, I keep turning and throwing from how I think they their like kind of style of play is on Ancelotti and in, in truth I'm not 100 sure I thought I had an idea of what it is, but I think I just need to be honest and say we need to see a little bit more of them see what they're going to be like um I don't think they're going to press as intense as the as they were um but the sample size is just too small so yeah I think it's just going to be a little bit chaotic for the rest of the year until um until you know they kind of have a, a bit of a pre-season start drill and how they actually want to play under them. Um so the question mark is probably probably the best the best bet at the moment. Yeah. I think one of the one of the reasons I'm quietly, you know, confident that Liverpool are going to be absolutely fine regarding this restart is because of how you know the only operation that the club seems to have behind the scenes of fitness wise, it seems to be, you know, really cutting edge. It seems to be um Leading really in the in the industry, um, and if you look back, it's quite interesting, specifically in the Premier League. I think Wenger obviously starts to dominate when he came to England. Mm. He overhauled the uh, the diets of his players, didn't he? Things like that. Yeah. Uh, then Mourinho had a bit of a period of dominance. I think he's got similar ideas of fitness, mm. and I think Spurs had a period of dominance, although they didn't actually win a Premier League. For me, they were the best team over the period over a period of two years. Mm. Under Pochettino, they were really intense, uh, and I think Liverpool now are the fittest team. And I think yeah. usually, the, I mean, it goes without saying, really, the fittest team in the division usually tends to do quite well. Well, they're always there, um, they're about, aren't they? 
Yeah, but in, in a lot of occasions, though, they, they win the title. The, the fittest team does tend to be the champions on, on quite a few occasions, certainly really close to the top of the table. So I think Liverpool's current game would not be possible if they weren't absolutely physically tuned to perfection. Um, and I think, you know, poaching the likes of Mona Neme, who's the, the new decisionist at the club, and Andres Conmeyer, who I think is the fitness, um, you know, both from Bayern Munich. Mm. Uh, I just think that what Liverpool do behind the scenes, whatever it is, you know, I'm not much of a fitness expert, but whatever it is, I think it's it, it working and it's it's going to be probably better than what, what, what other clubs have got in preparation for this restart. Yeah, I agree. I've um, I've got a, a general question for you. I, I feel like putting you on the spot a little bit, so it might be a question where you might be able to answer, but if you had a bit of a think about it, you, you may do. But I'm just curious for your thoughts on, is there any kind of concern creeping in with the idea of the managers you were just talking about there? Is there any concern that, obviously in football, Great managers and sides tend to peak, but then teams tend to find ways to counter their whatever they're doing really well. Um, and you know, you've just listed a few examples: Wenger, uh, Mourinho, Pochettino. You know, there's a few examples there. Or you can say that if we're coming in kind of year three of this or season three of Liverpool's truly elite kind of performances, are you worried that any of the Premier League is going to start finding a response to? A response to how how good they are, and you know, trying to figure them out a little bit. Yeah, I am a little bit. Yeah, um, I think you know, even the most perfect tactics of the past have eventually reached a point where they become a little bit stale. Um, and I think Liverpool's as as good as it looks right now, and, and and that sort of thing. You just don't want teams to eventually start to find answers to you. But I think you know, and a, a simple solution to that is just to. To consistently keep find different ways of attacking. That's the crucial thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't think Liverpool will be found out defensively. Mm. Um, specifically, I think it's more likely to be, you know, the details of how Liverpool uh, teams find a way to nullify that. But if Liverpool can keep just finding different ways around, that's specifically by signing additional little tools like a team over or like you know. A number ten or an alternative centre mid or or something like that. Um, then I, th- I think you you'll be fine. But it's it's whether you rest on your laurels. I think is, mm. is probably going to be the problem. Have you got any thoughts on that then? Or? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually similar to you. Although I didn't think of a really good point that you just that you just brought up there that I overlooked is that I think it is really important to have the solid defensive foundations because if they're in place, it means you're not going to be getting you're not going to be getting battered at the other end. Um, you, you're going to have those foundations where you're always going to be pretty solid in games, and it is just about finding new new ways to attack. Um, so I thought that was actually a really good point that I didn't think of, but yeah, I think that is a concern um, because. It, if you look through the history books, it's very rare that you see the truly elite stars and elite managers kind of um, stick the very top for longer than two or three years without having to evolve again and do something new. Even like the great kind of Barcelona side under Guardiola, they had that period from like 09 to 
you know, like 2011-ish were unbelievable. Uh, but even that, all right, I know Guardiola moved on eventually, but um, which would have caused that. But you did feel like even at the end of that, that things were things were starting to maybe go on a downward slope. Otherwise, Guardiola wouldn't have moved on. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that's that's it. But I think one difference is um, I think Liverpool will be aware of it. So. I don't think they're going to be able to continue doing what they're doing in terms of playing style and attacking style. That is going to have to change. But I do think Liverpool are a club where they've got so many people behind the scenes that know what they're doing. They're so, so smart that I do believe they'll already be kind of laying the foundations for that next step. So it doesn't get to the point where they start losing the touch and then think, oh, we hold on, we've been found out. We need to change it. I think they'll be preempting that and therefore kind of preparing for that now. Yeah, I think one thing I'll add to develop well is Liverpool have been really, really good in the past like year or so at being basically difficult to predict. I think mm. Liverpool's 4-3-3 is quite well known. But, you know, certain details of how Liverpool play, you know, the variety of corners and stuff like that, um, I think Liverpool are quite good at, good at making the job of an analyst and an opposing team quite difficult. Um, it, it's, it's tricky to, to go into a match with Liverpool and have absolute certainty that Liverpool are going to do this and when this happens Liverpool are going to do that mm. I think it's it's going to it's going to vary quite a lot and I think specifically when Liverpool finally get that fourth who's capable of performance of a similar level to the current front three that then gives Liverpool absolute licence to completely randomly just use a 4-2-3-1 um, and that's going to be completely different you know, spacing-wise mm. to the formation that the opponents have, have likely planned for and that sort of thing. So, yeah, just make sure you keep signing these types of players, these these versatile players who, who you mentioned there, who, you know, will provide you with a platform to just mix it up. And if you do mix it up, they won't just be in a state of shock and they won't be they won't just struggle. And I don't mm. think they ever would anyway, considering how, how established Klopp's principles of play are, I think. Certain things will change about what Liverpool do. Certain things might change about Liverpool's formation and stuff like that. But the general principles of play, you know, identity and the intensity and you know the the focus on on occupying spaces and certain things like that will will never really change too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the elements of of unpredictability. I think Liverpool will always try to keep. But anyway. I think we've round, rounded us up pretty well there. Uh, a few must, tangents. Must be close to the hour there, Josh. We are, I think, yeah. Uh, one day we'll uh, one day we'll give someone a short episode. Yeah. <laughs> About 54 minutes, I think we got there, but uh, yeah, we went off on a few tangents, but I think that you know that the, the main talking point was to do with how how set up Liverpool are to to retain quite quickly and I think you'd agree that they're probably one of the best set up to to retain quite quickly and, and basically get a job done. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I think uh, this is gonna be gonna be alright in terms of you know potentially picking up back at speed, clicking into gear. Um and maybe better than some other sides. But we'll I mean we'll hopefully see anyway because we are missing the football. We want it back now. Yeah, been a long time. Um, so yeah, thanks for sticking with us anyway. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for getting involved, Dave. 
Yeah, cheers, mate. Cheers, everyone. And we will be back again next week. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.